discuter de tout ça. I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. Ether, the cryptocurrency tethered to the Ethereum blockchain, pushed past $3,000 per coin on Monday. According to Coinbase, the coin reached an all-time high of about $3,200 before dropping slightly. Ether's value has been steadily rising over the past few weeks thanks to major banks and businesses finding new uses for the Ethereum blockchain. The recent surge also appears to have made Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin a billionaire. Buterin disclosed his main Ethereum address on Twitter in 2018. On Monday, the address listed on Etherscan showed a balance of over 333,520 Ether, with the value of the wallet listed at just over 1 billion US dollars on the site. Buterin first proposed Ethereum in 2013 and co-launched the project two years later in 2015. According to Reuters, the coin is up more than 300% for the year, outshining the biggest cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, by a large growth margin. In other news, you're listening to Alternate Current Radio. I'm Adam Clark, and I am not a licensed financial advisor. This is not financial advice. This is The Daily Ruckus. The Daily Hodel reports Berkshire Hathaway CEO Warren Buffett and company vice chairman Charlie Munger are sending a clear message that they are not fans of cryptocurrencies, despite the meteoric rise of the emerging asset class. During the company's recent annual shareholder meeting, the Oracle of Omaha dodges a question regarding the $2 trillion valuation of cryptocurrencies, as he does not want to make any statement that may not be to the liking of hundreds of thousands of crypto holders watching the event. Quote, We've probably got hundreds of thousands of people watching this that own Bitcoin, and we've probably got two people that are short. So we got 
a chance of making 400,000 people mad at us and unhappy, or making two people happy, and that's just a dumb equation, end quote. While Buffett kept his opinion to himself, his longtime business partner, Charlie Munger, did not hold back in his statements. Quote, I don't welcome a currency that's so useful to kidnappers and extortionists and so forth, nor do I like just shuffling out a few extra billions and billions and billions of dollars to somebody who just invented a new financial product out of thin air. So I think I should say, modestly, that I think the whole damn development is disgusting and contrary to the interests of civilization, and I'll leave the criticism to others, end quote. Buffett and Munger have long been critics of crypto. Buffett thinks that cryptocurrencies have zero value and once called Bitcoin, quote, rat poison squared, end quote. During a CNBC interview last year, he vowed never to own any cryptocurrency. Munger also says Bitcoin has no value, noting that it is, quote unquote, worthless artificial gold and trading cryptocurrencies is, quote, just dementia, end quote. Dailyhodl.com. That's a rather strong opinion there, Mr. Munger, and I believe it is only our duty to attempt to counter it. Is what he said there true? Is investing in Bitcoin or participating in any sort of financial speculation really a sign of mental illness? For the answer to that, let us turn to Gail Rogers, professor and chair of English at the University of Pittsburgh, who has a new book coming out scheduled to be published in June of 2021, titled Speculation, A Cultural History from Aristotle to AI. And in an article for The Conversation, he writes, In the late 1990s, America experienced a dot-com mania. In the 2000s, the housing market went wild. Today, there are manias in everything, from Bitcoin and non-fungible tokens to SPACs and meme stocks, obscure corners of the market that are getting increased attention. Whether these are the next bubbles to burst remains to be seen. The sudden rise of all these relatively new asset classes, or the astronomical heights they've reached, may seem irrational or even enchanted. Describing them as speculative manias implies that individuals are lost in forces beyond their control and needn't take responsibility for the actions of the crowd. But as I learned while researching my book, financial speculation hasn't always been understood as a widespread craze or even outside of individual choice. From ancient times until the late 1700s, the term speculation was used mainly by philosophers, scientists, and authors to describe conjectures about the future. When speaking of traders who manipulated the prices of an asset to make an outsized profit, financial writers instead used terms like engrossing or cornering the market. After a series of international credit scandals in the 1770s, though, speculation became the favored descriptor for high-risk financial gambling. Political economist Adam Smith used the term extensively in Wealth of Nations, published in 1776, after seeing it used to describe lotteries and smuggling. He saw in it 
a perfect term for how traders were trying to capitalize exponentially on the inherent risks and unknowns of the future. George Washington even warned in 1779 that speculators, quote, are putting the rights and liberties of this country into the most eminent danger, end quote. Yet Smith, Washington, and others still saw speculators of all types as individuals making calculated decisions, not as part of some maniacal collective or epidemic contagion. That began to change thanks largely to the early American physician and thinker Benjamin Rush. As Surgeon General of the Continental Army and a prolific publisher of studies of mental illness, Rush penned a widely circulated article in 1787 called On the Different Species of Mania. In it, he characterized speculative gambling alongside 25 other types of quote-unquote manias that he wrote had become pronounced in American life, including land mania, horse mania, machine mania, and monarchal mania. For Rush, speculation was a disease of the mind that spread from one to many and threatened the health of a young democracy that relied on rational decision-making by voters and politicians. The quote-unquote spirit of speculation, he foresaw, was not a good-hearted spirit of nation-building, but rather could, quote, destroy patriotism and friendship in many people, end quote. Rush's terminology and his way of thinking caught on quickly. In the the summer of 1791, quote-unquote, scripomania took hold as Alexander Hamilton sold the rights to buy shares, known as scripts, for subscriptions in the newfound Bank of the United States to shore up the nation's finances following the Revolutionary War. Demand for the scripts soared. The Philadelphia General Advertiser declared that, quote, an inveterate madness for speculation seems to possess this country, end quote. After that, the tie-in between speculation and mania spread and became inextricable, and it hasn't been severed since. The Scottish journalist Charles Mackey sealed this connection in 1841 with his influential Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. Since then, virtually every bubble, every rush in commodities, and every market panic that has ensued has been called a mania. The term has even been used retrospectively to refer to the behaviors that led to speculative bubbles in the distant past. The famous Dutch tulip bubble of 1637, for instance, was seen in its day as foolish and dangerous, but only after Mackey's book was it labeled a mania. The trouble with talking about wild financial events in this way is that society begins to confuse and distort the responsibility and nature of bubbles that inevitably crash, leaving ruin in their wake. To speculate at its core is to make a bet about the future based on individual calculations of the risks of tomorrow. There's nothing inherently contagious or mad about it. In fact, computers are often speculating now in place of human Human minds. What we call a mania is just shorthand for saying that a lot of people and machines made the same bet, as happened in January when day traders, many of them inexperienced, 
drove up the price of GameStop. Maybe they were all acting rationally and in concert. Maybe they were duped by insiders or weren't fully calculating those risks. Whatever the explanation, using the term mania tells us only a small and potentially misleading part of the story. The conversation Com. And the story just keeps getting more interesting. Or I guess you could say, the plot thickens. As newer billionaires are not nearly as afraid of cryptocurrency as the old ones are. In fact, Elon Musk is now, apparently, the Doge father. According to MarketWatch, Dogecoin shot up 32% in the wee hours of last Wednesday morning after the billionaire Musk tweeted, quote-unquote, the Doge father at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, a sign of both Musk's strange power over the Doge community and another example, the volatile digital coin can make huge moves on just an inscrutable celebrity tweet. Doge, which started as a crypto joke, inspired by an internet meme featuring a Shiba Inu dog, has seen its value surge almost 8,000% in 2021, thanks in large part to celebrities like Musk, who have given tongue-in-cheek love to what was once a virtually useless digital token. Musk, the self-appointed techno-king of Tesla, imperator of Mars, and father of 11-month-old son, whose name I can't pronounce, has had a lot of fun using his massive social media following to pump the price of Doge, tweeting back on April 1st that he would use his SpaceX rockets to put a physical Dogecoin on the literal moon, echoing the social media goal of taking the coin's price, quote-unquote, to the moon. While Wednesday's midnight tweet did not mention Tesla's negative 3.6% quarterly earning result that sent the stock down in after-hours trading despite announcing a 70% rise in sales figures, Musk did promote his May 8th hosting gig on Saturday Night Live. Showbiz promotion aside, Wednesday's corresponding Dogecoin move appears to have been one of Musk's more effective moments of prankery. Doge devotees have very publicly set a target of $1 for the coin in 2021, a number that might seem extremely modest at first glance, but not when viewed through the prism that Doge traded at 0.005 cents on the last day of 2020. For those fans, otherwise absurd tweets like Musk's are the equivalent of a fundamental market bull signal. On Crypto Moonshots, a Reddit board devoted to cheaper cryptos with so-called to-the-moon potential, users gave Musk just the reception he was looking for. Quote, you all know what happens when Elon Musk tweets, we all make money, one user posted early Wednesday. That's just how it is. That's how it's always been, and that's how it will probably keep being. LOL. End quote. But some writers and cast members at Saturday Night Live have made it clear they want no part of Musk's appearance on their show. In the wake of bizarre comments he has posted on social media regarding COVID-19, general billionaire meme lord antics, and a perceived penchant 
for online bullying, as is his online want, Musk has made it clear he is ready to tweak his SNL critics, tweeting on April 24th, quote, let's find out just how live Saturday Night Live really is, end quote. But while Musk's online heckler routine has not yet lost him his SNL gig and pushed Doge one-third of the way to its target, one of his IRL foils might not be as patient or entertained by his recent tweeting. When asked on Twitter about the role of the Securities and Exchange Commission in overseeing the approvals of his Starlink satellite network, Musk retorted, quote, They have an important role to play in protecting the public from getting swindled, but sometimes too close to Wall Street hedge funds, in my opinion, end quote. Musk's tweets have landed him in hot water with the SEC before, and he managed to escape without any significant burns, but that was under former Commissioner Jay Clayton, and he has yet to tangle with newly installed Wall Street Sheriff Gary Gensler. But that didn't prevent the Doge father from offering Gensler some free advice on how to run the SEC. Quote, strange that they aren't taking more action on some of the SPACs. End quote. Marketwatch.com. And in case you don't know what an SPAC is, don't worry, neither did I. That's why I had to look it up. According to Wikipedia, a special purpose acquisition company, SPAC, also known as a quote-unquote blank check company, is a shell corporation listed on a stock exchange with the purpose of acquiring a private company, thus making it public without going through the traditional initial public offering process. According to the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission, SEC, quote, a SPAC is created specifically to pool funds in order to finance a merger or acquisition opportunity within a set time frame. The opportunity usually has yet to be identified, end quote. SPACs raised a record $82 billion in 2020, a period sometimes referred to as the quote-unquote blank check boom, because a SPAC is registered with the SEC and is is a publicly traded company, the general public can buy its shares before the merger or acquisition takes place. For this reason, they've been referred to as the poor man's private equity funds. Academic analysis shows the investor returns on SPACs post-merger are almost uniformly heavily negative, and their proliferation usually accelerates around periods of economic bubbles, such as the everything bubble in 2020 to 2021, when the volume and quantity of capital raised by SPACs set new all-time records. And if you think all of that sounds sketchy, you're probably right. However, I am not here to talk about SPACs, which I know little to nothing about and have absolutely zero exposure to, unlike cryptocurrencies, which I am personally invested in, and happens to be the topic of today's show. So moving forward, in that direction, if you are already not a fan of cryptocurrencies or an absolute staunch opponent to digital money that comes in all shapes and sizes, with all of the news surrounding cryptocurrency in the last year or so, you might be asking yourself, 
Should I consider investing in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies? What would that look like? How would I get started? Now, unfortunately, I can't answer that question directly, because as I mentioned earlier, I am not a financial advisor, and this is not financial advice. However, the Financial Times says that if retail investors buy, they need to accept that cryptocurrencies come with big risks. The problem with investing in Bitcoin is that it instinctively feels too good to be true. The largest cryptocurrency by volume is worth 600% more today than a year ago, soaring from about $7,000 per Bitcoin to $54,000 this week, along the way becoming one of the best performing financial assets of 2020. Despite including some extreme price swings, the year-long rally has so far defied fears of a repeat of Bitcoin's spectacular price crash of 2018. Eye-popping returns are making it difficult for even hardened cryptocurrency skeptics not to consider putting money into Bitcoin, and many long-term doubters are crumbling. Jamie Dimon, chief of U.S. banking giant J.P. Morgan, is just one prominent crypto bear who turned bullish in recent years. Recently emerged cheerleaders include Tesla chief Elon Musk and a number of billionaire hedge fund managers who are convinced that as the digital equivalent of gold, Bitcoin's exchange rate against conventional currencies has even further to soar. So is Bitcoin just a big Ponzi scheme or a genuine investment opportunity? Should retail investors give in to the temptation to pile in. Among finance professionals inside and outside the crypto market, opinion remains sharply divided. The recent stellar performance has churned some bears into bulls, but hardcore naysayers warn that a bubble that has grown bigger is still a bubble. Even ardent crypto fans are reluctant to wager their life savings on an asset associated with hair-raising levels of volatility. Even among these enthusiasts, many limit their investments to 1-2% to of their portfolio, regardless of whether cryptocurrencies turn out to be the digital equivalent of gold in the long run, today they are providing fraudsters with a rich hunting ground. Since the start of January, Bitcoin's value has risen by 85%, and in mid-April, it hit the latest in a series of record highs at $65,000. Companies that operate in the digital currency sector are attracting a flood of money. In a recent convention stock market flotation, investors valued Coinbase, the cryptocurrency exchange launched less than 10 years ago, at $72 billion, putting it equal with BNP Paribas, a French bank with roots stretching back to 1848. Young people are in the vanguard of investing. Research from broker Charles Schwab shows that in the UK, millennial and Gen Z investors are more likely to buy cryptocurrencies than equities, and more than half of those surveyed had traded digital currencies. After a year of spiraling prices, bears warn of the growing risk of a 2018-style collapse. Bitcoin bulls argue that the current rally is different from the 2018 bubble burst, when the price collapsed from above $16,000 to just $3,000. Today, they say, it is driven by demand from professional trading firms and institutional investors whose presence brings 
brings stability. Not everyone agrees. Quote, it's not different this time. There are no new eras, despite what the promoters tell you, says David Rosenberg, a Canadian economist and president of Rosenberg Research. Asset price bubbles come, bubbles go, but none of them correct by going sideways, end quote. In contrast with younger investors, those aged 55 or over remain resolutely on the margins with just 8% of survey respondents in this age group trading digital currencies, according to the Charles Schwab study. They may be right to do so. Investors globally have lost more than $16 billion since 2012 in cryptocurrency-related scams and fraud, according to disclosure platform Zangle. The Financial Conduct Authority, the UK's financial watchdog, warned this year that investors can lose 100% of their money when punting on cryptocurrencies. It has not sought to block cryptocurrency dealings, but it has forbidden the sale of derivatives on crypto assets to UK retail customers. As crypto markets are unregulated, investors have no one to turn to for help if they fall victim to fraud. Exchanges can turn out to be bogus and their founders disappear. A new coin might turn out to be a tissue of lies. Ian Taylor, the chief executive of lobby group Crypto UK, says, quote, there are a lot of scams and criminal operations that target individuals, and it's very important to recognize that in an unregulated market, there is no recourse, end quote. Another concern for investors is the environmental footprint of cryptocurrencies. The carbon emissions associated with Bitcoin equal that of Greece, according to research by Bank of America, because the coins are created, or mined, in vast computing centers, which burn electricity and generate heat. So, what are the ground rules? Crypto specialists say the most important rule for new investors is to be prepared to lose all their money. On April 13th, Bitcoin began a sharp decline, its exchange rate shedding 23% in less than two weeks. Marcus Swainpool, chief executive of Luno, a retail-focused cryptocurrency exchange with 5 million-plus customers, says that in some cases they were overstretching themselves. Luno surveyed its clients last year and found that 55% had no other investments. Swainpool says, quote, Never spend more money than you can afford to lose. It's very risky, there is no doubt about it, end quote. Extreme swings in the exchange rate mean cryptocurrency exposure should be kept at a low proportion of a portfolio, according to most mainstream investment analysts. Thanos Papasavos, founder of research group APB Invest, who has a 20-year background in asset management, says, quote, I understand if you want to buy it because you believe the price will go up, but make sure it's a very small portion of your portfolio. Maybe one or 2%. Borrowing money to pump up trades with leverage amplifies gains but inflates losses. As there are no official rules, trading platforms allow investors to wager multiples of the money they deposit, inflating the amount at stake by as much as 100 times. Choosing the right coin is also important. There are hundreds of cryptocurrencies. Most are worthless and some are plain scams. Bitcoin is is the oldest, most
most liquid coin, and it is the one that enjoys support due to institutions investing due to its limited supply. According to its original computer-based design, only 21 million bitcoins will ever exist, and 99% of these coins will be mined by 2030. Other cryptocurrencies are not limited in this way, and the hundreds of available digital coins all have different characteristics. It is also the most expensive per unit, but since it can be bought in small increments, there is no requirement to splash out $50,000 or more for a full coin. Ethereum is the second most traded cryptocurrency and has benefited from the tailwind of Bitcoin's rally. The technology behind Ethereum is also used in a nascent market dubbed Decentralized Finance, or DeFi, making the coin a relatively safe choice. Dogecoin and the likes occupy the riskiest and most illiquid end of the spectrum. How do you buy cryptocurrencies and what are the risks? In the UK and the US, the easiest way to access cryptocurrencies is to buy a portion of Bitcoin on an established exchange such as Coinbase. Given that some other exchanges have suffered outages, been hacked, or collapsed, this is the safest approach, though it is more expensive than other exchanges. Coinbase typically charges a spread of about 0.5% plus a fee, depending on the size of purchase and payment method. Fintech companies such as Revolut also offer a way in for Bitcoin buyers, but there is no way to transfer Bitcoins from the app elsewhere or into other types of coins, since they may only sell it back within Revolut. Investors only normally own Bitcoin via the app. And I may add this is also true with other apps such as PayPal, Robinhood, Cash App, etc. In the US, investors are able to buy shares in diversified cryptocurrency funds such as Grayscale, which can then be bought and sold like other mutual holdings. Institutional investors can also buy into exchange-traded products, but these are inaccessible for retail investors in the UK. It is possible to buy into products that offer exposure to companies active around blockchain, the public digital ledger that underlies Bitcoin such as Invesco Elwood Global Blockchain, UCITS ETF. These are a bet on the technology, however, rather than the cryptocurrency. Selling cryptocurrencies also has tax implications. Digital assets count as property for accounting purposes, and profits may be subject to capital gains tax. Scammers are a growing problem. Some ask investors to send their private keys to their crypto holdings, promising to return with a profit, but once done, there is no way to undo a transfer. Lihan Lee, co-founder of Zangle, advises potential investors to check the past records of any crypto investment schemes, while Crypto UK's Taylor warns of posting about your cryptocurrency investment on social media, or cold callers promising guaranteed returns. He says, quote, if a stranger walks up to you on the street and says they'll give you 150 bucks if they can borrow 100 bucks, you probably wouldn't give them the money. It's the same with crypto. 
end quote. Why are institutions getting involved? An advertisement from Luno in London screams, quote, if it's on the side of a bus, it's time to buy, end quote. Many seasoned investors say the ad should say the opposite. If everyone is talking about the same thing, it's a surefire sign that prices have reached unsustainable heights and are about to collapse, as they did in 2018. But in the past 12 months, companies and institutional investors have cautiously dipped their toes into digital assets since central banks around the world responded to the coronavirus pandemic with easy money policies. Large asset managers and hedge funds have been looking for ways to protect themselves from a return of inflation and the erosion in value of some currencies, including the dollar. James Butterfill an investment analyst at digital asset specialist CoinShares says, quote, We've seen a step change in institutional interest last year, end quote. He notes that around $54 billion of money is invested across 120 cryptocurrency funds. A year ago, the total figure was $3.5 billion across 89 funds. As Christian Nolting, global chief investment officer at Deutsche Bank's International Private Bank, wrote in a report, Quote, cryptocurrencies are here to stay, end quote. Central banks are even exploring the idea of issuing digital alternatives for domestic currencies. To some analysts, central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, lend legitimacy to the crypto space, while others believe it is an attempt by central banks to wrest back control of the market. But that does not mean that the risks of cryptocurrencies are likely to dissipate anytime soon. As as the unregulated market bounces through its latest price gyrations, it is a long way off from either stability or security. FT.com Now, all of that being said, if you, the listener, do decide on your own, of your own accord, after doing your own research, that you may want to consider investing in some cryptocurrency, on all of my show notes, there are various helpful links to get you started. As as long as it's not because you think anything you heard on today's episode was some sort of financial advice. Because, again, like I said, I am not a financial advisor, and this is not financial advice. However, that being said, if you and I were just hanging out together, and you were to ask me what I think about, oh, say, Dogecoin right now, I would tell you first, even then, that I am not a financial advisor, and this is not financial advice. But what I would do if I happened to be invested in Dogecoin right now is that after Elon Musk's appearance on Saturday Night Live coming up on May 8th, if the price of Dogecoin goes quote-unquote to the moon, I would sell those puppies as fast as I could. Puppies, get it? But that's just what I would do, and again, not financial advice. For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been the Daily Ruckus for Monday, May 3rd, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.